Hello, friends. Welcome to the Christ and Coffee podcast, bringing the church together one coffee hour conversation at a time. I'm here with my brother, Jeremy, and we're going to talk about the book of Judges. We're going to give an overview on our crash course series through the Bible. And to start things off, Jeremy, what is Judges? Yeah, that's a really good question because a lot of people don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of scholarship about it. Um, so the book of Judges is kind of unusual because like we said in the Pentateuch and in the Torah, most of the books in the Hebrew Bible are just titled by the first couple of words in the, in the book. And this one is given the title Judges in Latin, Greek, and in Hebrew. Um, it gets its title from this word in Hebrew um, that has to do with judgment. Um, and the, the word in Hebrew doesn't just mean judge like we typically think of in English um, or in contemporary language. We think of a judge as somebody who sits in and weighs in on like a conflict, um, makes a decision. Um, that is the use of the word sometimes, but also other times it has to do with um, ruling and delivering and bringing people out of some sort of difficult time. And so that's more the way that the, the word judges is used in this part of the Bible and in this section and this storytelling. So judges are basically like local tribal rulers in, in the book of Judges. I think of them as, um, I don't know early ancient congress people <laughs> i don't know yeah. or maybe a better way you had a better way to say it what, yeah. what were they I, I would like so i think when we hear the word judges we're thinking about someone in a black robe with a with a the anvil thing going order in the court yeah, you have to yeah. think more like conan the Bar barbarian here That's like they're right. war, yeah. they're war chieftains with like clannish structures where like they're just a mighty warrior who fights and we're dealing with over 3000 years ago. So it's very clannish, very warlike. Right. Uh, Think uh, of Game of Thrones setting, but even like less structure than Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones <laughs> had kingdoms. We're dealing yeah, with clans. Right. We're dealing like, with, with like um, tribes. Like Yeah, tribes in certain territories that have settled, they have pasture and then they, they have a certain individual who when stuff gets hard, God gives them his spirit to raise them up and deliver them out of some sort of difficult time it's also helpful to know like the hebrew bible is typically broken up into like early patriarchs pre-monarchical and then monarchical and so this is in the pre-monarchical stage some people even think the reason judges is in the bible is to argue for the, the necessity of a monarchy like it's sort of a propaganda for monarchy which i don't necessarily think because um, it doesn't get any better. When no, they get no, king. the cycles and, continue, just more organized and structured. Right, right. So, but it is, um, it is not that clean vision of a judge as a sort of objective, you know, person in a black robe saying, order, this is what we need. This is like, you know, warlords. And yeah, yeah. some of them are really rough around the edges. And so it's not necessarily a clean picture of a judge that we'd expect. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say is the like the main theme or structure of judges? Oh uh, yeah, uh, disaster. <laughs> <laughs> chaos, <laughs> chaos, disaster, um, disorder. The whole book is just uh, a wild roller coaster ride of violence, and it ends with 
the, the crescendo of the book is a civil war and sexual assault. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the end of judges. It's a, it's a rated R book. And I have no idea why we read it as kids. Uh, <laughs> we, we read about like judges, like, uh, uh, what's his name? Samson and Gideon as if they were heroes and really they're just like tragic terrible people that they yeah, yeah. taken out of context can be heroes but not when you read it in the book as a yeah. whole yeah even like Gideon like Gideon the 300 he was obedient to God and he was the the faithful person and then we like read about trusting God it's not about numbers like yeah, that's yeah, how Gideon yeah. is taught but then like if you keep reading he uh <laughs> He ends up killing his own people for not fighting with him and creates an idol. Like the exact yeah. opposite of what we praise him for happens right afterwards. And I, I think like people think sometimes that like there's these closed positive arcs for every biblical character. Like if we're writing a story, you want like the redemptive arc of the character. Like like Iron Man is selfish and by the end of it, he's uh, he's self-sacrificial. Like Gideon is cowardly and then he, he trusts God and then then he doesn't and then everything hits the fan like right. that's kind of the negative downward arcs for people and if we look at history there's a lot of people who have tragic arcs to their life they were maybe really good and then they end up crappy mm. and that's why i love the bible because it doesn't like to, to to tell you if it's a good ending or not it'll just tell you that this guy actually had an epic moment of character but also failed miserably like same thing with like king solomon people always think right. that like solomon asked for wisdom but guess what he wasn't really wise at the end of his life you right, know? Right. i think that's that's something we miss in the bible i think a lot of people think the bible is like a very um neat and clean book and there's a lot of times just really uncomfortable things i mean i i actually think judges is a great uh a great book for our age. I mean, our generation loves sort of ironic endings and like closing things off with mystery and needing solutions, needing answers. And really, I mean, yeah, Judges does that. It concludes with a real sort of emptiness that like sort of uh, beckons for an answer, beckons for a response. Um, but I think that's probably like going back to the original thing of what's the theme of the book. That's it, really. I mean, it's just this um, there's a common uh, verse or a, a phrase that gets repeated as like a refrain throughout the book. And it's this line, in those days, Israel had no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So this is the judgment of the whole book, essentially saying they've forsaken uh, Yahweh as their king. They're just really disordered and dysfunctional. And that led to, um, you know, when we talk about like, moral corruption i think we think of just like doing wrong things but it's like literal like death violence like injustice every people who are innocent that was being murdered and raped like that's what that's what happens uh in the story when they forsake yahweh as their king and that's what happens when they do what's right in their own eyes so that's sort of the trajectory of the book and it sets you up for a redemptive figure to fix things which will eventually be david um in his own flawed way um there's also a helpful way to to phrase it there's a author a commentator and a, an old testament scholar named daniel block and he talks about uh judges as being um the slow canonization of israel 
Um, so the book is kind of tracking with this theme of, we talked about this with Exodus into numbers, mm-hmm. like God takes Israel out of Egypt, but it takes a long time to get Egypt out of Israel. Now they're in the land, they've been sort of planted there in Canaan, and all of a sudden they become just like Canaan. They take on Canaan's, Canaanite gods, they uh, function with a morality that looks like Canaan, they have a violence and a sort of cutthroat mentality just like Canaan to the point where um, they look just like the other nations. Yeah, and the, that's a common like phrase I hear, and I think with COVID and people not coming back to church, people are like, all right, what's the point of going to church? Um, or the church doesn't look any different than the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think people are like that, that same critique of back then, like Israel's supposed to be special. They're supposed to be different from the world. Mm-hmm. Now they become worldly in their, their cultural context. So they're becoming mm-hmm. Canaanites. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing right. here. It's like, you wonder like what this church is no different than your typical secular person. Right. 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 And the people who inhabit it are no different than the people like there's no uniqueness, which yeah. is really the the, the 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 concept of holiness in the Old and New Testament is the uniqueness of, it, of a person because they've spent time with God, with Yahweh or with Jesus in the New Testament. So um, if they look no different, then, you know, what's the point, I think. what's So what's interesting, I do want to say this because I think this is really cool is that the book concludes with that really violent scene of sexual assault and civil war in chapters 19 to 21, I believe. I can't, I don't have it in front of me. Um, But the story of the sexual assault at the end uh, is told strikingly similar to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis. In fact, I was reading that the verbal, uh, the use of verbs in that section like a fourth of the verbs are direct copy and pastes from the Sodom and Gomorrah story. Um, and it looks out of place because it's more ancient Hebrew. <laughs> so it's as if the author is signaling like, hey, look at this story of what happened in Israel by Israelites. And it's actually exactly what happened in Genesis, but it was Israel instead of Sodomites and Gomorrahites. I don't know if that's how you say that. But, um, but the point being made at the end of the book is like, at the very hands of Israelites, we're doing what we would have thought is despicable in other parts of, of Israel's story. And we just became, you know, the Canaanites and the, the Sodomites from, from earlier times. It's a real stunning criticism at the end yep. of the book. Yep. And it's striking. And I, I think that theme is so important because a lot of times people criticize the Bible, but just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean God likes this. <laughs> Usually it's like, these are examples not to follow. And Wisdom is acquired by learning the hard way or learning from the mistakes of others. And um, I think what I love about the, this history section of the scripture that we're reading is um, the, the, the inspired texts are written in a historical manner to pass on wisdom, learn from history. If, if history, um, history is bound to repeat unless we, we, we learn from the past, you know, like there's all those cliches of learning from the past are very true. And, uh, but the way that these, the way the history is told is a way for the listeners to make sure they're not only just knowing the history, but they're like learning what Mm. to not do. Mm, And that's that's constantly like, all right, are you worshiping God or not? This book opens up with like, remember what Joshua said at the end of uh, Joshua, like obey God. If you don't, things go bad. Remember what Moses said, if you don't don't obey God, things go bad. (laughs) 
remember what, what our ancestors said about worshiping God. If we stop doing this, things are going to get really, really, really bad. So right. that's like the, the, the name, main thing that we're going to be carrying through as we go through the history. Right. Right. And I think that speaks to, so we've talked about the theme and then we talk a little bit about genre, like where are we now? This is a historical book, but interestingly, in the way the Hebrew Bible is sort of organized, the Hebrew Bible classifies the history books as prophetic. Um, and so there's a, there's a sense in which this is a, this is a historical prophetic book. In other words, it's, it's sermonic, it's ethical, it's trying to get us to see what happens when we forsake Yahweh. I mean, it's kind of like when you get to the later prophets, they talk about all the injustices that are going on and they name them and they list them kind of like actual judges that we would think of today. And here, this is like storytelling of the like the horrible things that happen when we forsake Yahweh. So it's different ways of telling history as a sort of um, inspiration to wisdom. Um, and that's how we should be the book, I think. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a great point. The prophetic historical genre. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, it's like prophecy through storytelling, you know? Yeah. Yeah, pointing to a greater truth through a, a narrate the, the retelling of the history. Right, right, right. So, um, yeah, there is there is a structure to the book, uh, and if if you've ever kind of read it, you'll maybe think that it sounds a little repetitive because there's a cyclical structure uh, to the book. There's um, an opening act, and then there's six judges. Um, that increasingly get worse and worse and it always kind of cycles to this concept of israel forsaking god uh god saying all right hands off israel falling into some sort of oppression and and being uh victimized by other like tribes and clans they lose battles something gets taken from them then god um sort of empowers a leader from the community from that tribe to like rise up and fight for them they're liberated and then there's some short story after the liberation about how they just perpetuate the same cycle they fall back into idolatry and then the whole thing starts over again so um the first three stories are more like i don't know they're cast in a, in a better light the judges or the leaders are typically just kind of mentioned their character flaws aren't really highlighted the last three judges uh, which are ones that we probably are more familiar with. So that's Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. Samson. Yeah. Uh, those three get whole stories and backstories and the character flaws and, and the character traits of each of those judges get highlighted and projected. And each of them just become worse and worse. So that's what, well, yeah, that's what bothers me about how we read these stories in Sunday school is like Samson is the like the scum of the earth by the time you get to him he's the last judge in the cycle system and he's just like the worst human being but at the end of the story he, he's that annoying jock who like is annoying like yeah. that's how yeah, he should he's be the worst. he's the worst like he's not the hero you don't want him to be like yeah, you don't want him dating your daughter. He's just a terrible person. I think that's all, the ultimate litmus test for for a character is: Do you want this person to date your daughter or yeah. not? <laughs> if the answer is no, then no. stay away. <laughs> yeah, Samson is a hard, is an easy no, and uh, and we, we gotta let him let him go. 
Um, and then, as we said, after the cycle system concludes, the last two stories are stories of idolatry, sexual assault, civil war, and just straight out violence and bloodshed. Like, spoiler alert, it ends with a guy cutting a woman up into 12 different pieces and sending her body parts out to like all the different tribes of Israel. It's brutal, it's disgusting. And really that's the end of the book. Like the end of the book is just a letdown of like, yep, everybody's at war with each other. Everybody hates each other. <laughs> like there's, evil all over the land and help somebody please help that's kind of the conclusion of, of the book of judges exactly exactly is there like a favorite uh part of the past uh the book you like jeremy like something that maybe gets neglected that you like to re share i don't know if it gets neglected but one of my favorite scenes so okay judges does not like fair warning it's ancient israelite literature women do not typically get a really fair painting in the book of judges it's a patriarchal community it's a patriarchal society um it, it's a really you know it's not a, a gleaming picture of women in the book of judges but i love that within that frame there's the story of deborah and jail uh i think it's in chapters four to six is their story cycle mm -hmm. And uh, I love that Deborah stands up as a, a female leader in the midst of, of Israel. She comes out as the hero and men in the story get a really poor portrait painted of them um, throughout. And at the end of the, at the, end of the story, Jael um, is the one who defeats a, a warlord uh, named Sisera. And uh, I just love like sort of the, uh, the irony of the story and I don't know. It's a pretty, pretty crazy way that she kills him. Uh, yeah, she, tent peg through the head. Yeah, she jams a tent peg through the guy's head <laughs> while he's sleeping, which is pretty, uh, pretty gruesome. Yeah, it's so, totally. Uh, it reminds me of the scene in Godfather with the horse. It's a gruesome scene. Yeah, a gruesome scene. It's like a. I, I don't know. I just think of like Wonder Woman, Amazonian kind of like. Don't mess don't mess with these women you know so yeah i i like that part of it because it is it is in, it's incredibly countercultural for it for israelite literature for a woman to be a leader and for the woman to uh be the one by whose hands uh, a powerful warlord gets executed and killed i mean that's pretty counterintuitive to the ancient mindset so what do you think what's what's the fun sort of interesting favorite part of the book for you yeah the one there's another story of the earlier judge ehud right before deborah and Barack and JL uh he's like the left-handed assassin and mm -hmm. he just like hides his dagger on his uh right side so he he's gonna give tribute and it's like a it's like a scene out of an action movie and uh he goes like I have a present for you from God and then he stabs yeah. this fat leader and like the 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 sword gets stuck it's like really absurd but it's like I could see it in an action movie like like maybe like a Quentin Tarantino movie <laughs> like yeah uh, so yeah, I kind of like that Ehud, the left-handed assassin. No, no one talks about him often, but I think Deborah, um, Gideon, and Samson pretty much take all the spotlight when people teach on judges, but yeah. there's people like Ehud, the left-handed assassin, that gets left out. Actually, you just struck a point, I think, for me. If judges were like sort of directed by a team i feel like quentin tarantino and the cohen brothers would do a great job yeah. <laughs> of collaborating on how judges comes together i feel like there's a definite like vibe from those two 
like directorial voices that would that would really put a good edge on judges. That is but, a cool uh, thing we can maybe carry for the rest of the books. Like, who would you want to direct this book of the Bible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For this, definitely Tarantino and the Coen brothers would do a great job. Yeah, and I, I and what they would do a good job is they'll shock us with the violence, you know. Right. And, and they won't. They don't have these very clear cut character arcs as well in, in right. their storytelling. Right. And there's absurdity, and there's like irony, irony to it. I think they would do a great job with it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like you said, especially with the Coen brothers, the good guy doesn't always win, right? Yeah. And, and that's an important thing in Judges. Like, they're you know the the good guys often don't win in the book of Judges. So, um, what about difficult, maybe uncomfortable parts that haven't been resolved for you, or that just seem kind of odd in the book? Yeah, like uh, I mean, I mentioned Gideon earlier on. Um, like the fact that he like creates an idol, and uh, like that's really disturbing. Like. My dad is a Gideon, like who hands out Bibles and uh, like he's been like the oldest like member of the Gideons. He came to this country with like nothing, but like the main ministry he did was um, pass out Bibles to all the hotels and like he helped lead an initiative to like give Bibles to Armenia. And I remember like my first trip to Armenia, like there was a Gideon Bible in Armenian, like by my That's host awesome. family's bed. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is like my dad's effort as a Gideon. He's like yeah. this businessman yeah. who just like passing out bibles to people and he doesn't he has no idea like the impact he's had yeah and gideon is named after like <laughs> this guy who <laughs> yeah. at the end of his character arc he's like creating an idol like what's up gideon like remember the whole fleece thing and like yeah, how yeah. god delivered you with like Do that you know, and then like, like you create an idol and uh, you kill your own people like, come yeah, on man yeah. come on do you know what the like history or the story is behind why they named themselves the Gideons? I have no idea. I should. I I would love to know that. That's interesting. Because it is like if you read the whole story, it's like maybe don't name your organization or your movement after this guy. Yeah, um, I have no idea. Maybe it's or it I guess like a... maybe just read the first part. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Usually when yeah. people like do Gideons, it's a reference to like we're small in number, but we're gonna pull off something great. You know? Right. 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 Um. That's funny. So yeah, you'd think maybe that that if I would take a guess, it's probably that. But who yeah. knows? Maybe the yeah. the founder was just named Gideon. We <laughs> have no idea. Yeah, that's true. It could have nothing to do with the biblical story. Yeah, but their symbol is like I think their symbol is connected to the story. Um, oh, okay. But anyway, but yeah, my dad's having more and more difficulties getting the Bible uh, at hotels now. It's like I think a indication of our society shifting more secular, where it's like early on like and early on means 30 years ago but people were like yeah we'll put our, your bibles in now people yeah. are like no no you can't do that that's like that's yeah. offensive yeah I'm like, all right <laughs> interesting anyway there's these little shifts that are interesting to, to be aware of yeah yeah but yeah what about you anything that you, you kind of don't like or you find um hard well, to I, read yeah i grappled with um there's a story in the middle of it uh, with Jephthah, he's the second major judge that they develop a character story after. Um, yeah, so Jephthah is famous for a vow that he makes. He says to Yahweh, if I win this battle, I'll sacrifice my daughter as a, as a you know, human sacrifice. Um, you give me victory, I'll give my daughter, basically. And a lot of people go to that text and say, hey, look, this is a sign of God's acceptance of human sacrifices early on in the Bible. Um, so I kind of grappled with that. I, when I was in grad school, I did a whole term paper on uh, Jephthah's vow. And uh, 
Yeah, basically, it's a really difficult text. Um, and I think it comes down to if you read it carefully and read it with a nuanced ear. Um, God is totally absent from the storyline. <laughs> and Jephthah is just doing things that he thinks God wants. Um, and basically, tragically murdering his daughter, uh, because he thinks that's what God wants. And God never in the story actually says, you know, I want this to happen. You should do this. You've made a vow. You need to keep it. Um, it's it's Jephthah just not knowing Yahweh and Jephthah deciding to do something um, that hurts other people when in reality, God is nowhere behind what he's doing. Um, so it's kind of a story, actually, now that I'm talking about it, it's the story about taking God's name in vain. Yeah. And claiming to stand in the space of what God would want when God has nothing to do with what you're doing. Um, so it's really just a real, it's a tragic story. And I don't know that it's difficult for me on the level of like, oh, uh, you know, what do we do with this text? It's more like, yeah, what a sad, like, I, I just see a lot of today's church in that story. And it's like, uh, I mean, obviously we're not doing child sacrifices, but <laughs> that, that sort of, um, that posture of standing in the place of like, this is what God would want. This is what we're going to do when God is curiously absent from the scene and, and not really behind what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important again to, to, to read the Bible and um, people like often forget that the Bible wasn't broken out in chapters or verses. Mm. And it's hard to pick up that if you don't, if you just, just jump to the text out of context um, yeah, or without yeah. the, the, the big theme of, this is not what to do. Uh, everyone did was right in their own eyes, right? This is like right. he's he wants to be like the Canaanites who are sacrificing the uh, the, the right. gods. It's a child sacrifices, which is which, if you read elsewhere, God's opposed to murder, opposed to such acts of human sacrifice. Um, and uh, again, it goes back to that theme. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Um, yeah, yeah, and and I, yeah, I, I just. I think that there's a there's a way of reading the Bible that doesn't sit with those nuances and you lose so much if you don't try to read it carefully. You know, just because there's a story told in the Bible doesn't mean God is behind the story in the sense that it's like instructive for, uh, for us to do something in that in that same mode of behavior. And so, yeah, I mean, there's these stories told that are meant to be uncomfortable and dark as a way to say, you know, don't do that or, you know, careful with how you claim God's name. And, and so, yeah, th th that's one of them. Jephthah's vow is certainly one of those stories that sits uncomfortably. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I guess it, it, I was also just thinking it, we talk about child sacrifice in the Bible as if like, oh yeah, nobody does that anymore. You know, who, who sacrifices children, but we, you know, we really, if we're, if we're tracing where we get our product sometimes, you know, I think there's an, there's, there's an argument to be made that sometimes we purchase things um, that put children in harm's way. Uh, if not, you know, lay them in really poor socioeconomic situations. So yeah. it, it's a curious way to read the Bible to wonder, I wonder how what I buy and how I provide, you know, where are my Nikes made? Where are my clothing made? What factory? Yeah, I, yeah. I purchase things by these vendors. Like, how are they treating people? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and like, as someone who's pro-life too, I feel like that, yeah, I don't want to like simplify this, this issue, but 
that's another, another argument people make uh, about how we just, uh, there's just way too many abortions in this country or mm. worldwide. So there's, there's that and people can view it that way. Um, so yeah, I mean, th- there, there are things in our society that we think we're not as primitive or, or, or uh, this is such an ancient story, but violence in history and war are bound to repeat. We're just in that season of peace right now, hopefully, and we stay that way. I mean, I, I but I hope war doesn't break out again, you know? Like that's yeah. the cycle of, of, of judges where you have um, moments of peace, sin, all right, we got, we need you now. All right, I'm gonna send you my, this guy to help you out. A little bit of peace and then repeat. Yeah. And that's like the cycle of human history, right? <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. Uh, moments of peace, moments of war, a time for, and uh, I hate that. Like, and there's something countercultural hmm. with the judge that we worship, Jesus, who is the true deliverer, the true hmm. person who liberates us and gives us actual eternal peace right and um i think if we lose sight of that you can't really preach from this book (laughs) yeah yeah i think if if you read judges all the cycles are anticipating god as king and as christians uh we read jesus as the one who fills that role in that space so if we don't read if if we don't read judges with you know christ as the ultimate redeemer judge and and king then it leaves us in a pretty dark place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's the way this needs to be preached versus like, let's be strong like Samson. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Don't be like Samson. If there's one thing you get, <laughs> if there's one thing you get from this episode, do not be like Samson. Do not be like Jephthah. Do not Gideon. be like, be, be like Gideon like for, for his his faithful part, but not the I care yeah. idol part. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I, and don't cherry pick the Bible. Like that's, I think that's the main one of our main objectives from this whole series, mm-hmm. is to make sure we don't do that. Yeah. Um, see the big picture, and the, the big picture will help us understand the, the verses when we go into detail. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, Jeremy, I think we're gonna wrap it up now. Um, yeah. If anyone good. has any comments they like to share, something they like to discuss, a question they may have about the Book of Judges, feel free. Thank you for all who have listened through uh, the end of this podcast. Stay caffeinated, my friends, and God bless you. Have a great week.